Burn, rush, brace under pressure.
Cities under pressure, no cities of the plane. There's no swimming in the heavy water, no singing in the acid rain. Red alert, red alert. It's so hard to stay together. Passing through revolving doors. We need someone to talk to and someone to sweep the floors. Dark, probably the greatest example of Cold War era art. One of my very favorite Rush albums, Getty, please sing to me forever. Rush simplemente una banda de primera clase. Neil fue uno de los más grandes bateristas de toda, toda la historia. Escucho a Rush desde los 14 años, ahora tengo 61 por algo, la crítica internacional lo premió en el año como la mejor banda del último milenio. Thank God for Rush every time they put out an album, I felt someone understood me. How can that be? We have totally different lives. Great classic album. This is the album that got me to go see Rush for the first time. I knew a few of their songs, of course, closer to the heart of Tom Sawyer and Working Man. Es increíble que sigue a esta super banda desde my adolescencia. A great but underrated album by Legends of Rock. An album foreseeing the future of an apocalyptic world in acid rain, a forgotten album from the 1980s, great songwriting from a great Canadian rock band, very 80s but still good.
that's a win. I said that was a bet MGM win.
let's look for a bio on, uh, I want to learn something about Rush. Okay. Rush documentary. Sunstone still. Rush beyond the limit lighted stage. Banger films. Amplified Rush. Sunstone self full documentary. Hmm. Did you know that animals listen to dominating tactics because they're scared? If you want to have a mind. Amplified. Oh, the last one left alive. Are we the only human beings to survive? When I started in this band, I was a kid. Getty Lee. Everything about being a kid is hard. You know, life is kind of torture when you're a kid. Yeah. And the band is the thing that saves you from that torture. So it becomes your cocoon. Becomes the place where you grew up. Becomes the thing that helped you mold your identity. And in some ways, it's the thing that gave you your identity. It's the thing that you got really good at and helped you feel good about yourself. Kind of looks uh, like Alice Cooper. The ending. Cross between Bono and Alice Cooper. The beginning, there's so much hope and it's a clean slate and you just go for it. The ending it never feels like it's the right time to end. And for all the reasons that I'd like it to be over, which are almost exclusively physical things. In my heart and in my mind, I'm not ready. We haven't really known another life. I don't think there is uh, a really a, an end. I have no fear of the future, no regret, uh, to, to the contrary. This is to me a fantastic thing we've done and I feel great that um, I was able to sustain my prime for a long, long time and keep improving to the level that I wanted to get to. To go out of the top and not face the diminishing of your abilities, that's what I couldn't face. If all that is true, then you'd have to say that ending is harder than beginning because the beginning is a place you've escaped to that's been a warm and nurturing environment for over 40 years. And walking away from that is not so fun.
as I said, really. It's coming along. Yeah, yeah it's, it's getting there. You uh, guys are actually pretty good rehearsers. Uh, well, we're uh, super nerdy like that. We, we've always been over-rehearsers. <laughs> the songs are complicated, and um, if we don't get to the point where you can do it without thinking, then it's not good because then if something happens during a show or something goes wrong you can just deal with it much more easily if it's ingrained so have you reached muscle memory yet on some songs yeah i have but some songs i'm still finding my place <laughs> stuff we haven't played since the 70s is a little tricky <laughs> songs that you've played even though you haven't played them in 10 years it's quite incredible actually that after not playing them for that long, it's in there somewhere. It's okay. like stored in somewhere in your... Just access now. Yeah. You know, it's faulty. So it doesn't come back. You know, it's like a digital copy that comes back incorrect, but mostly there. <laughs> That's what it's like. We'd like to go back into our past a bit to our first couple of albums. Now that everybody's feeling in the mood, are you in the mood? Well, this is called Fly By Night. Rush have built their reputation the hard way, on the road. Their strange flavor and singular sound ignited a deep connection with their fans unlike anything else in modern music. Rush never stopped recording, never stopped touring, and have been together as a solitary unit for four decades. They are the last of their generation. The end of an era. Big rock shows in the 70s seemed like they were a very different thing than now. It was what kids did in the 70s. Rock was the language of the of youth. Tickets were like seven bucks. It was as much the culture of youth as, as you know, an EDM festival is now. Or even maybe even more so, because I think it was more universal. There'd be a million arena tours that you could get an opening slot on. If you were willing to be a lunatic and play 250 nights a year and, and live under really lousy conditions, most people couldn't stand sleeping in vans and doubling up in motel rooms night after night after night. That's a tough life. You know, I think people glamorize it, but it's a really hard life. Something from our last album. This is called 2112. You know, we played every day, basically, and we traveled. Hello? I need a pack of condoms delivered to room 1302 Sheraton. Alex, who works as a delivery boy at a convenience store, picks up the order. Here's your. Alex is shot. Well, usually three to four hundred miles a night. Transportation was a big deal. When we started out, we had a rental car. So there were four of us in the rental car, the three of us and Howard, our road manager. We were doing 200 cities a year, pretty 
grueling schedule. Like six nights a week, seven nights a week, 50 weeks a year. There were lots of bars, there was lots of high schools, there was lots of whatever. Basically sleeping with your head against the seat ahead of you. On occasion, Neil and, and Ged would drive, but mainly myself and Alex did a lot of the driving. And then we were promoted to a, a station wagon. It was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Now I can sleep on the luggage in the back. And one of us would have a turn sleeping on the luggage in the back, and you felt like, oh, tonight's my night. I <laughs> get the luggage. things so who's gonna drive you know i'll pay you fifty dollars if you take my shift and we did that for the first 10 years of, of touring i remember being in saskatchewan and alex and i went out to a parking lot and we were staring at this you know this van that had a raised roof with a sleeper in it it had this sort of upper deck bed. Now this was just a big van with a cap on it. Uh, a camper, basically, like a small family camper. Dodge Funcraft, it was called. <laughs> it was with great longing that we wanted that vehicle. We <laughs> were all so excited about this Funcraft. It was the most ridiculous thing. It was bright blue and it had a roof on it. Well, we were younger. It didn't matter. We were just crazy traveling around the country in this stupid family van basically <laughs> there was something quite perverse about it it was sp space you could stick stuff up on the walls and you know i actually <laughs> cooked in it i think i made a a, a tuna casserole <laughs> they were so looking forward to taking off in their fun craft i mean the miles they put on in the beginning i don't know how they did it they were working 50 weeks a year it was insane. I remember one night, the guys in Thin Lizzy uh, challenged us to a drinking contest. So, of course, we had it in the fun craft. We drank them under the table. But it's a little tiny table in the fun craft. You know, it's got these little happy curtains in it and this little kind of fake table. And I used to look and think this is like families go on holiday in this little thing with the little kids and here are these kind of subhuman musicians all sitting around drinking bottles of Chivas Regal until they puke. <laughs> it's kind of a nice irony to that. We went through three motors, we put 500,000 miles on it, something like that. It was the ultimate camping trip, I call it. Eventually grew that they bought a much larger RV. The crew got the fun craft, and which we thought was luxurious too, uh, and eventually developed into buses. But that that all took years. close and uh, a lot of that is through our humor we share a common sense of humor and, and it makes things so much easier 
You know, you really look forward to spending time together when it's like that. Alex is such a funny man. You do a good Howard. I do. <laughs> he would get dressed up on the Kiss Tour as this character called The Bag. It was almost like the unknown comic at the time. He used to crack the guys and kiss them. You know, and they always always wanted the bag. You know, Ace Frehley used to go, hey, are you going to have the bag tonight? Hey, 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 all right, get, bring the bag over here. Where's the bag? Howie, where's the bag? <laughs> the bag was just like, would pop up every once in a while. Not that often. It was just a face drawn on a big laundry bag. You know, they had these paper laundry bags and the beautiful holiday inns we used to stay in. And I would pull, you know, make two holes for eyes and draw a stupid face on it and wear sweatpants and stick my arms through the sweatpants so only my hands came out at the knee <laughs> and have the bag on. And the bag would talk like this. And the bag was always drunk and really smart and knew everything and made a lot of uh, you know, suggestions to people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and the running commentary for a couple hours. Usually the bag appeared in Ace Fraley's room. Yeah. Almost always in Ace Fraley's yes. room. The bag would come over and entertain Ace. Because most everybody else would be very upset with the bag. Well, Gene would be upset. Gene was very, very upset with the bag. Yeah. And that made Ace even happier. Damn baloney. Gene was straight. He wasn't high like we were. So it had a, he had a different sense of reality when he came into Ace's room, you know? We were, like, drinking and smoking and generally being idiots. Uh, and Gene came in one time, and there were these two girls that were looking at the bag, like, wondering, who is that guy? Why has he got that thing on his head? So one of them went over and tried to remove it. Well, the bag went... Berserk. Well, when you try to remove the bag from the bag, that that's cause for immediate ejection from the hotel room. So I threw them out, and Gene was very upset about that because that's the only reason he was in the room was because there were two girls. And it was Ace's room. Earning your degree online is closer than you think. Apply today to Purdue University Global. Life in music is very unpredictable. When Rush went out on tour in 2013, it seemed at first like simply another tile in the mosaic that is an artist's life. But neither the fans nor the band could have predicted this tour might mean so much more. I think that album is the album we always wanted to make since we first got together. The lyrics and the drumming on there, the music that we created. Working with a string section is something we'd always talked about doing. The size of the story and the resolution of the story. at that point where that tour and that album totally pleased me and I never had that before it was a huge accomplishment for us we took a sabbatical after the clockwork angels tour so 
so all of us agreed we wouldn't even talk about work for a year. Every tour we had done had been so successful that it was, okay, we'll go out next year and we'll do another 40 shows. We had, for the first time in five years, taken a year off. The sabbatical properly is a time to take on, uh, you know, other projects. And for me, I got into book writing and published my own book, Clockwork Angels, graphic novel, worked on a sequel to it, Clockwork Lives with Kevin Anderson. I felt a sense of completion and transition, and I thought, hmm, so we have to talk. Those, those fateful words, guys, we have to talk. I think he loves being a drummer of that caliber. But if you were to ask him, he'd say, it's too fucking hard. <laughs> and I think it's really very fucking hard for him to play at the level that he plays. Over a three-hour show, he's, he's pumping out an awful lot of energy. Um, it's it's got to be extremely physically demanding for him. Singing is the worst job, but drumming is the hardest job, you know. Where's the guitar playing? Oh, yes. He's like, yeah. are you kidding me? You know, the blister on my little finger. No, I was singing just to stand out there in front of everyone. We no. both recognize, oh, you don't know what's coming. No, it's it's by far the worst job singing. But drumming is by far the hardest job. He's an athlete. He's 63 years He's old. He's playing a three-hour set. Um, and he won't yeah. do it unless he can play so up to his standards, which is basically, is is I have to be the world's greatest drummer. This is what has been bestowed on This is what I do. Yeah, I'm not going to let it slip. By the end of every tour, he's got numerous ailments, and they keep shifting. His body doesn't respond very well. He gets through it, and he does it, and he's very proud and feels good. That's the kind of guy he is, but it's killing him. I accept the fact that things cannot stay as they stay. And I accept the fact that the enemy here it's this kind time. of a pain in the ass to get that. <clears throat> go, go back a little further there. historically. Mm -hmm. They've all taken their turns where they're so not so sure about touring anymore. You know, 30 years ago when they first, you know, started having kids and it became more challenging. More so lately, I'd, I'd say that uh, emphasis has fallen more on Neil's side. For a long time. He was tired of, of touring. He just didn't want to go on the road. He makes the best of it. He rides his motorcycle, and as we all find our things to keep us occupied. But for a long time, I don't think he really wanted to tour anymore. That is what it is. I mean, it's always taken a little bit more convincing to get him to go back on the road. So I, I think in a lot of ways, this has been brewing for quite a few years. first tour I was already pretty much over the touring life as a life and started reading at the time and started writing it. Shop in Little Rock, Arkansas, bought myself a typewriter. So I would write. It was 20 years before I published anything, but in the interim, I was learning how to do that, and it was a part of my life reading and writing long before drumming was. 
It was an evolving realization. It wasn't like at the end of Clockwork Thank Angels you, 2, Bungie. I said, I'm done. Thank you, Like, you know what? I think that's about enough for this old body. It's the athlete that people forget. Yes, the creative artist is one thing, and certain drummers can play till they keel over. In eight years, I'll be 71. I could play Charlie Watts' drum parts when I'm 71. I can't play Neil Pierce drum parts when I'm 71. There's an idea that rock and roll musicians drink from the fountain of youth. Like anyone else, age has a hand on the pen and writes the story. As their year away from the stage came to a close, Getty, Alex, and Neil gathered to face their musical mortality. In November of, of that year, we all got together in Toronto, and I was quite prepared to say, guys, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm done. He was another very much considering that, that maybe it was time he packed it in in terms of live shows. And it's not like you just get new members in a band and, and go for it. Russia's never been like that, and we could never, ever do something like that. We've always said that if the three of us aren't on board, we don't do a thing. And there have been other decisions in our career where the three of us weren't on board and we didn't do it. Now, nothing as profound as ending our touring life, but fair enough. Look, I did all these tonight. So one guy doesn't want to do that thing anymore that I love to do. That hurts, but there's nothing yeah. I can do about it, Great and that's part purses. of the agreement. And I realized I was kind of solitary and misfit in that context of being the one that Make it gold. I wanted to pull that plug. I'd left one little window open in my mind, really, that if anybody said they wanted to do it one more time, I didn't know if they'd be able to. It wasn't until we had the conversations that we had that I started to think about the end and and wringing that, the, the towel dry. You know, it's easy to blame everything on the drummer not wanting to go back out on the road, but there's other factors at play here that can't be ignored. And, and one of those factors is Alex's arthritis, which is a bit of a ticking time bomb. So the bastard really? pulled that exact card. Alex said, well, he's got the arthritis in that. And uh, said, you know, I'd, I'd like, really like to do it one more time, and I don't know if I'll be able to. And then that night in my hotel room, I had the worst attack of Tourette's you have ever heard. Trapped. You know, stomping around and cursing and swearing. <laughs> but by the next day, it is what it is. Deal with it. <laughs> This is the 
We talked about ways of doing a retrospective. Just supposed to be on chairs. Yeah. No, yours is, Alex is on a chair. Yours is standing. The idea came up, well, what if we started with modern day, the band as we are, and just went back in time until we ended the way we began, playing high schools. And it got very ambitious very quickly, which suited me fine. Lighting is you know, very basic. When the song started, you guys were silhouette against the red curtain. It's a lot to put on a rush tour. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. It's not like every tour the sets gets shorter. It, there's none of those things that they have done that most aging bands do. This is designed to be an endurance test. They've made it this way. This is what they like to do. Well, the next day there's going to be a whole lot of YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 everything will be on YouTube. Yeah. Okay, you guys go play. Go do a concert. Nice. Well, the way down here from Kitchener. You've seen them on opening night in Tulsa. I've been a fan27 for me. I flew here from Chicago. I couldn't have been more blown away. Amazing. What was the highlight for you? Are you sure about um, that? I would say when they stripped it down to like the high school level and Getty was talking about Alex, like, hey, here's our new electric guitarist, Alex Lifeson. It was awesome. When they started bringing out the washer elements right. and they replaced the, the, the back line with the washer elements, I knew, oh, no, I didn't see what's going on. It turned out Chinese. That's fantastic. 
greatest concert that I've ever seen Crush put on, and this I'm is die, number baby. 42 for me. I can die right now. Disco, this is one of the best down. concerts I've been to in my life tonight. I had so many things firing in my head during the whole cacophony of whatever that was I just experienced. They kind of gently, in any way, warned us. Because <laughs> it would be an act of violence to just come out and say, after this tour, we're done. It's, just, it's not very Canadian. But 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 this could be it. This could be it. The band's traveling circus is shadowed by another. Rushcon. Misfits of the rock and roll world who asked themselves, would this be the last time they would gather to celebrate the band of their lives? I proposed to a, a group of online friends, Rush fans, that we should do a convention. And we should go to Toronto, see all the Toronto Rush sites, and uh, have some fun. Awesome, welcome. RushCon is, in essence, a fan club that meets once a year in a place. So you get all these Rush fans from everywhere meeting in one place. Usually we try to time it around a concert or some cool event. But really it just gets people out of their parents' basements. My fandom, especially in college, um, was such a fever pitch. I was just vibrating with Rush fandom, like I could not get enough. And this was way, this was before Facebook and before the internet. So like, this was me cutting out photos from magazines and like covering my walls. And it just got, it just got exhausting. I loved them so much and I was so heavily inspired by everything that it's my outlet for my crazy. Show some respect for the book, everyone. We have a bunch of games, like game show style stuff, and then we have a big charity auction where you can bid on signed, you know, photos and posters and stuff. Here's the thing. We need to jump in a cab right now because we're guys beating the band. You rarely will find someone who used to be the high school quarterback to be a Rush fan or the head cheerleader is rarely a Rush fan. But the band geek that you knew in high school or the guy that was super good at science is probably a Rush fan. <laughs> so we're, we're a very smart, artistic, and intelligent bunch, I would say. But with that comes maybe some social awkwardness, <laughs> which I definitely suffer from myself. Also, Martin's being a weenus, and he needs to leave by 5.30. So if you need to hang out with Martin, pop off and get books and get stuff signed, he'll see you over at his little booth over there. Cool. I was in advertising for most of my life, and I lived in Chicago at the time, and I decided one day that I could no longer make tampon ads. Like, I was just, I could not stay in advertising. It was just crushing my soul, so I stopped going to work. I joined the 2012 Obama campaign, and it was amazing, and we won, and then I got the job at the White House. Every day, I'm just like, how do they keep letting me in this building? Relax, 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 relax,
because I think everyone has their secret obsession, and so everyone can kind of be sympathetic when I have to say, like, yes, I run a fan club, and I need to take off work to do it. But yeah, it's awesome how supportive people are and how fascinating they think this whole thing is. I am Danny Lee, and I will sing whatever lyrics I want. Just start the song again, and this time, do it right. They're super proud of who they are and they've never apologized for who they are. And I think that sort of inspires us as the fans to, you know, kind of be okay with who we are too. There are ways in which Rush are kind of like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> And there are a lot of ways in which yeah, they are nothing like the Grateful Dead, Dead, but their shows <laughs> and their tours Brian have Hyde, a senior writer, Rolling thing, Stone magazine. For the hardcores, essentially, um, they bond I want to write the for Rolling Stone. You write for Rolling Stone, Huff Post, New York Times, Washington Post, and the freedom. To be confident daily star. in our own way of doing things. Mother Jones. You know, a lot of people say, well, pat us in the Political. back for not compromising in this. Well, we couldn't do that if our fan base wasn't there for us. They've given us the freedom to be us. These guys traveled around in a van for like five years. They worked 50 weeks a year. And uh, shared this lifetime of traveled like uh, three, four hundred miles. Fans go back the decades day. and they're bringing their kids there now. And, you know, there's there is a shared thing with, yeah, with, uh, that, with that they passed out to their kids too, of appreciating what we're doing, right? Um, and that's important in terms of the of the example set, and in terms also of the sense of resolution. They toured so much the that they got yes, popular. Okay, we all got here together. I've been out at brunch yeah, with friends, and someone so walks in with a rush shirt, and I'm like, guys, sorry, I have to go talk to someone that I've never met. Like, I have to go talk to someone wearing a rush shirt at a restaurant. It's just what you do. The second you have that acknowledgement of, oh, we're in the secret society together, it's, oh, how many shows have you seen? Where have you seen him? Favorite album? Like, there's just so many levels on which you're just automatically connected to someone. The people that are Rush fans, this is their favorite band. There's a bunch of them. This is their band. They don't care about anybody else. I could tell you the first five rows tomorrow night that I've seen these people at 100 shows. <laughs> It's, it, there's nothing really like it. Tonight is my 75th concert in Rush. Rush. I saw them first in 1974 when they were an opening back, opening for Nazareth and Rory Gallagher, and I've seen every tour since. One hundred twenty-one for me, and eight for Emma. Yeah, eight. Okay. <laughs> 
Dog Bracers is number 31, and okay. it's front row bucket list. I lose track from time to time, but I think after tonight it's about uh, no, number 170. Well, I know exactly <laughs> 158 tonight. <laughs> yeah. Those are some serious fans, man. My first Rush concert was uh, you know you actually Grace Under Pressure. <laughs> my father decided to take my passion seriously and bought a couple tickets. And uh, so he and I went together, and I think I stood screaming the entire show. <laughs> Do you know what happens if you pour sugar into a carved-out onion? Yeah, because this is like a remedy a as old as time. There's a good chance your great-grandmother used this one herself. He said, fairly bored the yeah. whole time. And then as I, as I realized uh, later in life, uh, because of the certain smells in the arena. <laughs> I think my father got stoned at the concert. <laughs> and I've never seen him that way. And on the way home, he really didn't say much in the car, except, wow. Those three guys certainly made a lot of noise. As a young person, that power drew me more and more into wanting to be in bands. <laughs> it definitely stuck with me. I'm a fan of Rush and Somehow, Wynn got to ownership that, you know, Randy plays the drums, not really. They had a ceremony this year at the ballpark with the Arizona Diamondbacks where they retired my number. Please welcome starting pitcher number 51, Randy Johnson. I'm told, well, now you need to go unveil this big, huge box about the size of a garage door. I pulled off one of the black sheets. It was the gold-plated R30 drum kit. Randy, who is a fan of rock music, particularly the band Rush, is being presented this collector drum set, an exact wow. replica of the one used by Neil Peart on Rush's no anniversary <laughs> tour. Only <laughs> kits were ever produced wow. and featured maple drums with gold-plated <laughs> hardware. We got behind it, did a little drum fill for the fans. It's much nice. like going to the Baseball Hall of Fame and looking at a glove that, you know, someone used back in the 50s or 60s. It's just it's something cool to look at. I just think if I could play the drums, think about the noise I could make on this thing. <laughs> One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. <laughs> That's the most rush I know right there. There's something about the music and the oh, iconography come on, of Rush that certainly that. attracts and invites that sort of uh, geeky, for Break lack of in. a better word, attention. The musicians in Rush are so detail-oriented, it invites that sort of detail-oriented um, appreciation. So I think it's a 
possibly a, you know, a circle of geekdom going on here. I'm a husband and I'm a father first. But second on that list, I'm a Rush fan. It's how I define myself. Well, I think that's the difference between someone who's just did by Martin, once my... Fan, fan you know, it's a, it's a magical experience. more of those shows on this tour than than i can recall the friday show was one of those nights we were in sync everybody played right in the pocket the thing kind of took on its <laughs> own and uh, I, yeah, I remember after each song, I do a little kind of status check. Oh, well, that was a good one. Well, that was a good one. That was. It kept coming. I kept checking them all off. Yeah, right. A mini tiger. Passages like in, in Jacob Ladder and that, where that's what I found. Suddenly I was going deeper in it. And yes, the, the unison quality of all three of us taking that um, does become yeah, they were, a breathing uh, entity. Right, Papa Don, you have more for you? 